1: and those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.
0: If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits. Business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card. Buying that plane ticket for
2: a business trip can get you closer to medallion status.
1: The board in conjunction with NASCAR presents Stay Green.
2: Stay Green is your first stop for all the metrics, matchups, and money making opportunities at the track each race week.
1: This is Stay Green, the NASCAR betting podcast.
2: Here are your hosts, Todd Furman and racing analyst Chris Wormy. Welcome into the Stay Green podcast, season two. We've missed all of you, our loyal listeners. It feels like the NASCAR season never ends, you just get a prolonged break of about 90 days from crowning a series champion until the Daytona 500, or in this case, The Clash. Uh, I am your host, Todd Furman, joined by my esteemed colleague and racing analyst. Back for season two, we signed him to a long-term deal, or maybe a series of one-year deals, because we don't want to make too long a commitment. Uh, Chris Wormy and Wormser, I mean, you live for NASCAR. You don't really bet any other sports other than here or there when you have one too many adult beverages. Do you feel like the off-season for NASCAR even gives you a chance to recharge your batteries? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's a lot of weeks and this week or this year, we only have one week off in the middle of the season. And it's not like, you know, we have this podcast and we discuss the cup series, but remember, I mean, it's trucks we're firing and Xfinity we're firing. So if you add up, you know, all the practices and qualifying and all those races, it's pretty busy during the season. So it's nice to kind of exhale, um, actually get a little healthier, try to get in shape a little bit, take some time to myself. And then, you know, in the last month you know, really start to do my homework on the 2023 season.
2: Well, I mean, you also had a very busy offseason. above and beyond all of those things. You are now an officially spoken for man who decided in about a th- 36 hours notice he was going to tie the knot out here in Vegas. So Mazel Tov, congratulations on your nuptials. Uh, God bless uh, your better half for putting up with you during the course of NASCAR. Well,
1: well thank you very much. Yeah, she's on board. She went to uh, Jenna Wormy. By the way, someone signed up and volunteered for the last name Wormy, which is I think just amazing. She in probably itself.
2: should have kept her. She probably should have kept her own last name. Yeah. I, I wish I had a better, longer conversation with Jenna uh, <laughs> when we spent some time together during the World Cup and coached her up a little bit on that. But alas, we all make our own choices.
1: Yep. She she's uh, she went to her first NASCAR race at Phoenix, and it's it's kind of crazy because now both Phoenix races, she has friends from Canada coming down uh, individually to to experience a NASCAR race. Uh, this year so looking forward to hosting I love hosting at NASCAR races so uh, it'll be it should be fun for everyone involved including this is weird to say my wife
2: (laughs) and you know what I should have announced it right off the top Uh, we do have a female presence on the season opening episode here an outstanding interview with Danielle Trotta for those race fans out there that have followed the trajectory for a career from speed channel to race up. Now you can listen to her on PRN. So a long interview as Danielle was gracious enough to join us for stage two of the podcast talking about all things to expect for this upcoming season. Uh, we will get to that in a bit, but just wanted to kind of introduce the format, or reintroduce, I should say, for those those folks who may be tuning in to Stay Green for the very first time. Stage one, it's usually about what we learned last, and of course with a full off season, it would normally lend itself to a preview, but since the interview that we recorded earlier this week with Danielle went so long and was so comprehensive, we may roll some of that preview content that we had already anticipated for this episode into the Daytona 500 stage two this year. We're going to try and do some interviews with prominent personalities around the NASCAR community. We'll see how effective and charming we can be, uh, to lure in some of those household names and get their, uh, unbiased look and peel back the curtain a little bit with a candid feedback about what they can anticipate for the season. And stage three always where we'll break down the upcoming race. And in this case, it'll be the clash. So as far as stage one is concerned, Worm, we just found out from NASCAR earlier this week, some rule changes. I mean, no hail melons going on anymore. Ross Chastainting the corners. Apparently that's out of the NASCAR playbook. We've seen the penalties for severity of loose wheels get scaled back a little bit. No stage breaks at road courses. Uh, And honestly, when you mentioned the schedule at the top, 36 races with just one single off week coming in the middle of June, NASCAR continues to do the things they want to be able to reinvent the sport, try and improve competitive balance uh, of everything that we're going to see this year compared to what we saw unfold last year, which was the first iteration of the next gen cars. What are you looking to the for forward to the most, and what do you think that we can use to try and give ourselves a little bit more of a handicapping edge?
1: We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Anytime NASCAR makes a rule change. You know, there's a lot of people with opinions online, and I know I tweeted about this. So many fans are, okay, I like this change, or I don't like this change, and here's why. In my opinion, the change has been made. Okay, great. How do we make money on it? And the goal is to kind of look at the second and third order effects of, of things like, you know, no more stage breaks at road courses. What does that mean? And does that change? You know, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch road courses without stage breaks, just to try to understand, you know, the, the, the three or four stop strategies we used to see at Watkins Glen or at Sonoma, but also you have to add this other layer. They're still going to give stage points. So how does that change uh, the dynamic of a race on when people pit? And when a true caution might fall, because there could be someone that's staying out an extra lap to pick up a stage point or uh, a stage win. And if the caution falls, they're back mired in traffic the rest of the race. And it's been really hard to make passes at road courses. So, uh, you know, I I try to stay uh, opinionless on some of the changes they make and just look at the the possibility of, of making money off of any of those changes.
2: No, it's the smartest way to try and go about it. I mean, there's nobody that does more research in terms of reviewing previous races, trying to figure out what you necessarily can't see in some of the loop data. NASCAR's equivalent of the box score for those folks that aren't going to be as familiar with some of the terminology. We may throw around here a little bit more cavalierly. And obviously, that goes without saying, by the way, for all of you, our loyal listeners. Uh, tweet at Chris, at ChrisWormy15, that's chriswerme 15 5 And I'm, of course, Todd Furman, happy to answer questions. And obviously, if you guys have bigger comprehensive topics that you'd like us to cover in the course of the show, we make the outlines, we create the itinerary, and we can obviously delve into a number of different avenues. Uh, We look at the schedule, obviously, remains largely unchanged. We've seen a little bit of shuffling, the biggest introduction for NASCAR's 75th Diamond Anniversary. We're going to go to a street circuit for the first time July 4th. Uh, I'm not going to let you offer your honest assessment for what you're expecting from a race quality standpoint, but as a native Chicagoan, it will be refreshing to kind of see some of those iconic landmarks uh, and obviously going to create some unique challenges for us as we look to handicap that race. But I I teased the interview with Danielle at the top of the show. We covered a ton of ground with her earlier this week when we had a chance uh, to really pick the mind of someone that's been around the sport in the media side more in depth uh, than you and I have, Chris. So without further ado, we may as well go to that clip. We are thrilled to welcome in the first guest ever in the illustrious history of the State Green Podcast, someone very near and dear to me because she dealt with my ineptitude and inability to put together sentences and gradually brought me into the NASCAR media fold. You can follow Danielle Trotta on Twitter. That's at Danielle Trotta, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-T-R-O-T-T-A. And Danielle, you do a ton of stuff within the NASCAR community. So rather than me trying to read a long introduction that I had built for you, why don't you share with our listeners where they can find all of your content, both in NASCAR and of course the show that you do with Fox as well.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. You made me look good for years. In the fantasy and gambling space, so don't get it twisted. Um, when I was with Fox Sports, we really started to. I know you find that hard to believe, Chris, but it's very true. I was
1: sitting here going, Oh, you're pumping his tires already.
0: So his greatness has started to wear thin on you, but he made me look good on FS1 for years. So, yeah, we go way back. Um, I started covering NASCAR 15 years ago, so been in the space a while now. Um, kind of jumped around with all the broadcast partners working with Fox for years, then jumped over and worked with NBC sports on the NASCAR side. Um, and for four years now, I've been with Sirius XM NASCAR radio. So I do a show with uh, Larry McReynolds, who if you watch NASCAR races um, or just any NASCAR programming, we call him America's crew chief, cause he's just everywhere. And he's done this for 22 years in the broadcast booth. Um, so yeah, we just, spew NASCAR talk on serious 5 days a week and act like we know he definitely knows what he's doing and I just <laughs> try to keep up with him.
2: I mean, you've been doing content with Larry for a while. Do you feel like he's been brought down a peg or two given Alabama's struggles on the football field that it's been a little <laughs> bit more humbling for him throughout the course of the fall?
0: He loves when we open up the phone lines and we get a rowdy LSU fan that loves to rub it in, so he can never escape uh some of the you know, some of the heavy hits that have come his way, but he can take it. I will say he is no fair weather fan and more years than not. He's on the winning side of things. So this was a down year. He understands two losses or two losses. He will try to put an asterisk next to both and and argue that side. But uh, we have a lot of rowdy tiger fans that are apparently also NASCAR fans that don't let him get away with too much.
2: We know when things will really get dire, Larry will open up those purse strings and he'll start his own NIL collective under the guise of NASCAR to figure out what he can do to try and help Nick Saban continue to restore that legacy. But you mentioned our time on the hub together, and that was kind of the first time that NASCAR had opened its arms to the gambling community. We were kind of ahead of the curve. What do you feel was the reason that Fox and Race Hub in general saw this as such an opportunity? And have you been surprised the way that NASCAR has tried to embrace legalized sports betting? Uh, as it pertains to maybe driving a little bit in the way of traffic and eyeballs on the sport that may not have been there in the past.
0: Yeah, I think there's a huge push in NASCAR right now to really just get eyeballs from a lot of different perspectives. Um, I think diversity is a huge reach right now and just trying to bring in a set of diverse audiences from all different landscapes across the country. Um, I know there's a big push on the gambling front for the first time ever. NASCAR um, are kind of putting into their bylaws what team members can do. So they're clear on it um, in terms of what's allowed and what's not allowed on a team side, which I think is very interesting. They're just very acute now um, to not only the reach, but I think the power of it. I was looking the other day, like 12% of Americans were betting online, which is up 18% year to year, like online gambling is exploding. Um, And I've heard from other folks that are in your world, Todd and Chris, that NASCAR right now is one of the hottest sports to bet on. And it's one of the coolest sports to bet on in terms of head-to-head matchups, OEM battles. I think stage racing has brought in a new – there's just so many, like, different sectors. Um, And then we have 36 competitors on the track at the same time, as opposed to just two different teams. So it just opens up so many different avenues. In terms of why we were so ahead of the curve, I think I give you a lot of the credit, Todd, because you were really forging conversations behind the scenes. I feel like we we always filmed in Charlotte – I know you were in Vegas, but you had connections as well with the executives in Los Angeles. And I give you a lot of credit for opening those doors at FS1 and just saying, hey, I have a lot of reach in the stick and ball world, but there's this thing called NASCAR out here that you guys are spending like billions of dollars on for TV rights. And it's actually pretty exciting and engaging. And so when you brought that into the hub, we saw a massive increase in folks wanting to really learn more and be a part of it. And you know, now how many years ago was that? Seven, eight years ago. Um,
2: now feels, it's feels like an eternity. We were both a yeah. lot younger then than we are now. Kind of yeah. embarrassing to say in the grand scheme of it. But Chris, I mean, Danielle wants to give me all the credit. You get to take a little bit of that baton because we've told the story about how we got things going before with NASCAR. I mean, what's kind of been your perspective, the way the media has covered it? We obviously started this podcast last year uh, in conjunction with NASCAR to get things off the ground. But do you think we're trending in the right direction, Worm, in the way things are covered? Or do you feel that there's still a ton of misinformation out there in terms of sports bettors and their accessibility to the way they should be handicapping things?
1: Well, I think there's always going to be misinformation. I think that Danielle kind of hit the nail on the head with that. The growth, twelve percent of you know Americans placing a, a wager on a professional sports. There was a time when I would explain to people what I was doing, and I was getting this look like, "Oh, this guy must be some slick back hair, you know, kind of greasy guy," because that's that's typically how it well, was. Well, you are you, know, you
2: are greasy, <laughs> so they were accurate in part of that component.
1: But it, it's now so much more accepted, and I think that you know the term gambling you know, had a, a bad rap for such a long time, but then you start to realize that there are a, a sharp group of people out there that take this very seriously. And if you are a bit, you know, able to kind of see, you know, through the noise and, and receive a signal, you can actually make money betting on this sports. Now you still have to be cautious because there are people that we've seen, I know close to us that we've seen it get out of hand. And it. you always need to have that kind of in the back of your mind that if you do see someone, Maybe betting outside of their limits or outside of their bankroll to let them know, hey, you know, you got to reel it back in. You got a wife and kids and this is supposed to be fun uh, and it could be entertaining and you can still make money while while watching a race. And the reason I think that NASCAR has just a tremendous upside when it comes to gambling is it's I always tell people it's like betting the entire NFL season in one race. You can pick the winner of the Super Bowl, which would be the winner of the race. You can pick divisions and in group betting. And then you have manufacturers and, you know, people ask why my friends are so excited to do it, because there always is something to watch. You can be betting on, uh, you know, a car running 22nd that's running, you know, matched up against a car in 18th. And that's exciting. And I think you can. Uh, You can have eyes anywhere from first place all the way to, you know, cars running laps down and people will have interest in it from the start of the race till the end of the race.
2: I mean, Danielle, you mentioned some of the bylaws in NASCAR trying to make sure that they have things outlined in black and white. We know the NFL has kind of a zero tolerance policy for a lot of those things. And Chris and I last year at Richmond had an interesting chance to kind of talk to Jeff Gordon a little bit as they've tried and figure out when you bring in some of these gaming operators, how it benefits the drivers, how it benefits the sport at large and the teams. Do you feel like that education has progressed some, or is there still a lot more questions than answers as it pertains to media personalities, folks in the garage, the drivers, and all of those people that fit into the NASCAR ecosystem?
0: I mean, I can speak for me personally. I feel like it's, I mean, as much as I would love to participate, like fantasy as far as I'll be willing to go, um, because I just feel like, I don't know if there's any stipulations um, on the NASCAR side because I have a hard card or I'm credentialed. Um, I did sign a lot of waivers, so I should probably go back and look at some <laughs> fine I'm sure that was in there. Um, but for me, it's just... Um, I don't know. It's probably just an ethical decision that I've made. Larry and I have kind of talked about it. Um, We just don't bet on NASCAR, just because we feel like I don't know. Ethically, it may not be on the up and up. But you guys could probably tell me. I mean, what do you guys think of mainstream media kind of betting on the sport that they cover?
2: You know, Chris, I I can give you this for NASCAR, and then I'm more than happy to give my perspective on on other sports at large because I have some pretty strong theories, having talked to former athletes and talked to people that are fully immersed in it. But Worm, I'll let you go first here.
1: Well, I think that it's going to add a level of subjectivity. You know, what is the real truth out there about whether a car got, you know, a specific driver, a car will be fast week, you know, on a certain week, if someone has their, you know, kind of their ego tied oh, I have this bet, it might come out when it comes into the media that it's quite clear that this person is taken aside and that person might be an expert, but it might not, they might not always be correct. And when you're going out there and you're making a forecast or a prediction, you're kind of putting yourself out there and kind of how you react to that, I think could have some repercussions, especially if it's week in and week out. You know, I think that if you're able to do it and, and pick your spots, and I think that both Larry Mack and Steve LaTarte, by the way, they are the best at race analysis. It's not even close, like the information that they have. So I think. As long as it's coming from one of those two gentlemen, I would be okay with it. But there's some other people where I, I hear the advice that they're giving, you know, maybe just kind of barely looking at the odds board and saying like, oh man, you can get Truex at 15 to one. I mean, man, hundred dollars gives you 1500. That's a, that's a great bet. And maybe it is, but unless it's coming from, like I said, Larry Mack or Steve Letarte, I will take it with a grain of salt.
2: I think along those same lines, Danielle, when you watch any of the pre-race coverage, and we know there's a ton of it, post-race coverage, quotes that come out through the throughout the course of the week, practice and everything else, for me, it's more about what the drivers and people close to the teams are saying. Uh, more so than the actual picks they're making themselves. I mean, we know that these NASCAR drivers, whether they think they have a race-winning car or they have a car that's going to finish no better than 11th to 15th or beholden to their sponsors. So it's the veterans that really don't care. They don't feel they have to hold back, and they're pretty honest. Hey, look, I mean, Kyle Busch is the best illustration. He says every week he thinks he's got a car that's junk, and if you tried to bet races based off what Kyle was saying after practice, you'd want to fade him in every single matchup. Now, granted last year, it would have been extremely profitable given what we saw from the (laughs) 18, but going forward, you know, he's expecting a car that's going to drive like a hot rod as soon as they unload it. While there are other drivers, you go, you know what? You know, we've heard this before from Brad. He's pretty accurate in his way that he's reading the car. But I think so much of it that's changed as they've adjusted the practice schedule is the level of the unknown. I mean, these drivers, in my opinion, when they drop the green flag on Saturdays or Sundays, don't know what their car is going to do over the course of the long run. And it's teams that are making the best adjustments throughout the course of the race that makes it so much more difficult for even the NASCAR insiders that Chris referenced and the people you talk to, to figure out who the best car is going to be after 400 miles versus the way it's going to look at that competition caution 25 laps in and kind of using, you know, all sports as an example. I mean, I used to joke when I was on the lot in L.A. at Fox. If all I could do was book the action from some of the former NFL players and baseball players who thought they had a mathematical edge over the odds makers. I mean, the three of us, along with our friends, family and distant relatives, could have all owned small islands in the Caribbean for the level of overconfidence they have. And I think that just speaks to the numbers and how we're beholden to that and probability, maybe more so than what we believe in our gut to happen. Because Xfinity last year, we all could have thought that Noah Gragson or Ty Gibbs was going to win every single race. But, you know, at prices less than two to one that are widely available, you're not going to be able to turn over a profit long term unless you know if it was going to be one of those individuals grabbing the checkered flag each week.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do wonder sometimes if it's a deterrent for stick and ball fans out there that go, well, I don't know NASCAR. I don't know anything about NASCAR. How, how can I, I'm just going to lose my money. Um, you know, and I, I hear that from folks a lot, but I, I agree with you, Chris. I think there's, if you listen to the Larry Max of the world, if you listen to um, our show on Sirius XM, if you watch race hub, if you watch the pre-race, it would take you less than a month. I think to feel like you really knew, because let's be honest, There's 36 to 40 cars every week. Todd, you know this as well. I would say only the top 15 have a legitimate shot to win. So you're already cutting the field in half. Now, I guess that depends on what matchups you're looking for. And there's a lot of value. um, And if you're not just going for for that win matchup, some of those head to head battles, I think, get easier the more that you understand. But I do think it's something that you can pick up rather quickly Um, if what you guys are saying is look for really trusted voices. And I do think, you know, something that made it very hard last year as opposed to what's going to make it, I think, a lot easier this year is remember it was a brand new car. So although we wanted to go on past success, like, you know, Jeff Gordon was incredible at Martinsville. You know, nobody could beat Jimmy Johnson at Dover. Um, You always pick Dale Earnhardt Jr. at a super speedway. Now we come in with a brand-new next-gen car, so we had no idea, you know, some of these veteran drivers, how quickly they would acclimate. It drove completely different than anything else. It was like we were racing a dinosaur, and then they roll out this, like, you know, brand-new, like, Lamborghini, and they're like, hey, everybody, uh, we're not going to have a lot of practice, and you can't test, but let's go run a 36, 38-race schedule, (laughs) and we're like, What? Like, we had no pages in our notebook. It was so hard for even, like, experts like Larry Mack, who you talk about. Like, we didn't know what to go off of. I mean, I don't think a driver's going to forget how to drive at a place where they've had incredible success. But we just didn't really know how to handicap things. We had no notes in our notebook. So I think now at least we know... You know, I thought Chevrolets were probably the strongest, although Ford won the championship. They had a really great, I think, increase in performance in the postseason. The Toyotas were kind of like an outlier. They said that they've made some arrow changes to get better. So we're on more of a level playing field. And we have last year at least to go off of who was strong and who wasn't. But there was such a an incredible evolution of learning this car throughout the year that it was even hard to say the have and the have-nots in the beginning or the middle of the year. We're completely different than the major players in the postseason. So I think it's going to be a lot easier for us to, like, come up with more realistic expectations in 23.
2: Well, Chris, I know you, oh, go ahead, Chris, jump in there.
1: Well, I was just going to say, not to mention, we're going to start this new car. We're going to throw everybody in the LA Coliseum. We're going to give them a quarter mile track, something we haven't seen at the cup level in a long time. And oh, by the way, that's where you're going to start. And then we're going to go all the way to Daytona, which is going to race completely differently. And then from there, we're going to go to Las Vegas, which is going to be, or excuse me, Fontana, which is going to be completely different than all of those places or those other tracks. We literally had a lot of information, but nothing to still go off. Of As you approach Las Vegas, like, what are you going to take from those previous three tracks? Not much. Then we go to Phoenix. It's like, what are we going to take? Well, not much. So you literally have nothing to go off of other than you're going to learn how adjustments affect the handling of the race car, but your expectation, you're almost starting at zero for the first four weeks of the season. And I think that that's where, you know, any changes for us in the NASCAR series, uh, I feel like we have an edge because I think that we're just going to pay attention a little bit more. Whereas just the average fan looking on, I think it would be very, very difficult to look at you know, the results in Fontana and say, oh, this is what I think is going to happen in Las Vegas.
2: Well, I mean, I think you guys both bring up excellent points. And obviously the big storyline last year was parity. I mean, we saw 19 different winners grab the checkered flag, all the talk about how many drivers we were going to see when playoff races, I guess the playoffs were the number one illustration, you go, wait a second, guys on the outside looking in are winning meaningful races late in the year. I mean, given your familiarity with these race teams and everything else, Danielle, do you feel the bigger teams are going to gain a competitive advantage? And the parity that NASCAR has sought so long to try and seek out is going to be a pipe dream because now it's not going to be the level playing field. Teams with bigger budgets are going to have the competitive advantage and HMS and Stuart Haas are going to use the offseason to give themselves a leg up on, You know, the RFKs who are bridging the gap a little bit or track house coming out of nowhere or even colleague racing, who uh, I know, you know, AJ is excited about getting to go back to being a cup regular. We saw what he did in the Xfinity series, but now suddenly you're working a little bit more of an uphill battle trying to compete with the big boys every Sunday.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's an excellent question, Todd, and the way historically NASCAR celebrating its 75th anniversary this year, money has always bought speed. So that's why these big teams continue to dominate the way they do, because money not only buys speed, but money buys more people. Money buys smarter people, better engineers, more sim time, more technology. NASCAR is trying to level the playing field with the next gen car by limiting the amount of development and the amount of work that you can do on these cars. Um, And so that's why I think we saw the parody last year, Todd, because these guys like. There are some of the smartest minds in the world, but they still didn't know what they were working with. They still had to get inside and pick the computer apart and then say, what's the best way to rebuild it? And everybody was tackling it from a different way. Now you give these big teams, you know, 12, 13 more months to work on this car. The engineers, I think, are so much more knowledgeable than they were a year ago. But you look at a smaller team. I'll just use Fire, for example. I talked on the show uh, today with Corey LaJoy. Incredible talent, but drives for a very small team who had... 37 employees a year ago you know they've increased now to i think he said 64 67 employees so they've doubled in size which is massive for them but they're still going up against the new york yankees of nascar hendrick motorsports is like 600 people so it's just like how you know even if you know that's why i think they're starting to talk about you know maybe as we get into the next tv deal in 2025 they're talking about a spending cap Because I I just I don't know how you're going to create even more parity. I think the next gen car has done a tremendous job of that um, because you can't fabricate your own parts and pieces. Like now they have single source suppliers and their stamp parts that you cannot tamper with. So in theory, everyone's given the same stuff. In the old days, maybe you could make 300 adjustments. Now you can make maybe 30. So it's just a smaller plate. You know, it's a smaller sandbox, but. The, the engineers, you know, these big teams, they might have 16 engineers. Corey's team might have three. So you're just going to be able to sim out a smarter way faster if you're on a bigger team. So I still feel like we're going to see, you know, those big teams continue to eat. Unfortunately, I mean, listen, to your point, 19 different winners. We did see some of the smaller teams um, win races like an Eric Jones winning the Southern 500. But I still think Um, You know, the big teams like the Hendricks and the Penske's and the Gibbs are still going to gobble up and they have the money to hire the best drivers, too. So it's not just the car. It's the talent you put behind the wheel that's a recipe for success. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate.
2: Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates in Northbrook, Illinois. It's such I, a crazy its such a crazy sport when you think about all the pieces that go into it. And you mentioned the spending cap. I wonder if NASCAR can learn anything from what F1 is doing well in terms of trying to impose those limitations, Red Bull, obviously, that situation was fun to watch. Go, you know, we don't care. We're going to make enough money that if the penalties aren't punitive enough, we're going to still throw it all at the car. And of course, it's an apples to oranges comparison based on the dollar spent across those two sports. But Chris, go ahead and jump in.
1: Well, I was just going to say... with, with NASCAR and control of so much leveling out the playing field, you know, that might help some of the superstar engineers that might be hiding in a smaller team to maybe make some more money. If they do throw in a salary cap here and say, Hey, this guy has so much value. We have to get him," all of a sudden they're going to start making more money and, um, you know, continue to, to make the sport more competitive because I think really it does come down to people more than ever and I think it'd be nice to to see some guys back at the shop making some good money and, and people talking about race engineers like they do a crew chief or like they do a driver because they're going to be that important in the future.
0: I think it's a really interesting point. I was just having that conversation with somebody yesterday. And if they do impose this cap, you know, I think you're going to have to, you know, I mean, I hate to say it. I don't want anyone to lose their jobs. But if Hendrick Motorsports. You know, has, if everyone has a spending cap, can you afford to keep 600 people? And do you need 600 people? I mean, in the old days, you were allowed to, you had a massive fab shop and an R&D shop where you were just fabricating and simming out parts. A lot of those people, we saw a lot of layoffs with the next gen car because those people just literally had nothing to do. And these teams want to hold on to good people. But you're right. If we start to impose a spending cap we shrink the size of the organization, now we have less, less mouths to feed. But to your point, Chris, we can take those three, four, five, ten guys that are hugely critical and take a lot of those dollars and give it to them as opposed to spreading so much more of it thin and I know the small teams fight every day to keep those talented people. And so you're right. I I think they would have a better chance to make them happy and keep them there, which would also level the playing field. Because anytime a crew chief, a car chief, an engineer, a driver shows promise at a small team, the big teams are like, oh, we want him. He's a stud. And they can pay to, like, rip him away. So I think what you're saying has a lot of merit.
2: It's always one of the fascinating sides of NASCAR that we obviously don't get into when we break down the races week to week, but the things you have to factor into the equation and why certain race teams are always going to have that competitive advantage over some of their compatriots. And you mentioned Eric Jones, and clearly we've seen a changing uh, of the guard there as far as legacy motorsports and their new stylish paint scheme. Were you surprised to see Jimmy Johnson not come back to the sport as a part owner, but to want to get behind the wheel of a car, knowing that, Hey, look, you're not going to be driving a car. That's going to handle like the 48 when you were winning all those championships. (laughs) And will he be able to deal with the potential disappointment that could come from that given his two years in IndyCar, knowing how he tried to bridge that gap as well to be competitive in open wheel racing.
0: Yeah, I was shocked. I was totally shocked that Jimmy decided to come back. Like he was like, I'm out. I'm going IndyCar racing. Like, I'm good. And we really thought we were never going to see him again. Um, yeah, I think it's so cool to have a seven-time champion. Listen, we only have three, and only two are still with us. Um, and only one is still able to jump behind the wheel. But I do think something is interesting. Because Denny Hamlin, um, three-time Daytona 500 champion, for those that don't know him, just, he's a perennial championship contender um has yet to win a title but it's very close drives for gibbs in the 11 he was talking on his podcast this week and he said he's pissed that jimmy's coming back and they were like <laughs> why and he's like i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate it he's like because in my mind like it was jordan in the 23 and not the 45 you know he yeah. was like jimmy was like the man he was like the best and he's like now if he comes back and he like is just okay like he was like i don't want my respect level not respect level but like the way i think of jimmy to come down a few notches and like he was superman who wants to see him without the cave like no one wants to see superman brought down to earth so there's this sentiment it seems like inside the garage sometimes it's best to walk away when you're on top i feel the opposite um, as long as we can have Jimmy, I will take Jimmy. He's the Tom Brady of NASCAR, and I think we are, and I am for one hoping Brady plays till he's fifty. So let Jimmy drive <laughs> as long as he wants to. They're like, I think almost identical in age. I think Jimmy's forty seven. Um, so I don't know. It's a brand new car. Like you said, it's not Hendrick Motorsports, it's not the forty eight. Um, I've talked to people. He was able to test the car last week in Phoenix and just get acclimated. Um, apparently, he picked it up very quickly. He's going to have to race his way into the Daytona 500. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, We'll see how quickly he adapts. I mean, some people think he's not even going to be in contention for a win. I just find that, like, so hard. I mean, he's just one of the best race car drivers the world has ever seen. I think he's going to pick it up more quickly than people realize and run inside the top 10, and then you try to run inside the top five, and then you try to contend for wins. But his team has proven they can win races, and I don't know. I think Jimmy's going to surprise people. I don't think he's going to be mediocre.
1: Yeah, I think that it's funny that Denny brought that up because also Jimmy's the reason Denny hasn't won a championship. And yeah. so there's kind of like this, <laughs> this like if he comes back and he struggles, everyone that's kind of new to the sport that didn't want to watch the Johnson and Knauss era, which was just incredible to watch. I mean, I don't think people understand the dominance that those two guys had on the sport. It was incredible but you know if jimmy jimmy comes back and struggles they're gonna go wait denny this is the guy you couldn't beat for all those years you know and uh i'm I'm hoping denny gets his but i i think it's a great segue to talk about denny's show and i i'm looking forward to it i think it's gonna be incredibly entertaining Also, if I'm NASCAR, I may be going, okay, let's You're see where this goes. To give
0: the microphone, bad idea.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean. Y- I was going to say, you've heard some of the clips already from Denny. And the one I saw, I think he says he wants to get to 60 wins, says if he wins 12, he'll drive himself off into the sunset, still looking for that elusive championship. And you guys talk about the dominance from Jimmy Johnson. That's why NASCAR changed the playoff format. It was to 48 proof the entire postseason because there was no reason to watch the final couple races of the season. And we know Denny has one year left on his deal with Joe Gibbs Racing. We know he's heavily invested in building, you know, 2311 to where they need to go. But we did see one of Denny's longtime teammates, Danielle, change his uniform colors and manufacturers. How surprised were you that JGR couldn't get a deal done to keep Kyle Bush in their stable? And maybe what kind of expectations we should have for the 18, now the 8, that Kyle Bush will be driving, given that Tyler Reddick did have some success last year with RCR?
0: Yeah, I mean, just to put it in perspective, I think Kyle Bush and that free agent signing with Richard Childress, I mean, that was the biggest free agent deal we've seen in NASCAR in the past decade. I mean, hands down without question. Kyle Bush is in the top 10 of all time grades. Um, how surprised am I that I that they let him get away? I think it I think that's what a lot of us thought it was going to be. And then it kind of, because this was like a 12-month deterioration of a contract negotiation that they couldn't get to. I think you're right, Todd. Like it seemed like the first half they were trying to make it work, and then the second half, they were not. Um, I think at some point there was a that it's probably best if we part. Um, I think there was a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, I think his personality precedes him. He's not always the easiest uh, or most pleasant person to get along with. He has very high expectations and he has a very short temper and sometimes can be uh, a little a little short tempered. Um, and so I think that was starting to wear thin with folks within the Joe Gibbs organization. I think, um, they had a very prominent technology partner on the hook. And from what I've heard behind the scenes, they started doing some Google searching, um, probably more fancy than that, but came up with like old clips of Kyle Busch's, um, you know, infamous behavior and it deterred them a little bit. So it became harder for Joe Gibbs to sell um, that commodity of Kyle Bush, even though he's an incredible talent. There's a lot of, you know, emotional or um personality temper and baggage that goes along with it so it became difficult and then i think the nail in the coffin for kyle honestly was within when Bush got injured and coach gibbs grandson ty gibbs filled in for him and had incredible s- success in a car he'd never raced in a series he never raced and so all of a sudden kyle who was by the way commanding some massive salary that i don't begrudge him i don't get in anyone's bag like he had his number and he felt like he was worth X amount of million. Let's just call it 12. I don't know, but let's just for argument's sake say he was like, it's 12 to 15. That's my range. Well, you can put Ty Gibbs in the car now for one or two million. So you can save a ton of money and arguably still get somebody who, who's able to race this car at a very high level. And so I think that the. Um, I don't know, the conversations just kind of fizzled out. And, and honestly, I think it ran its course. Toyota and JGR claim they they really did try as hard as they could to keep him. Um, but I think he found an incredible home in Richard Childress Racing. Um, Richard's really hungry to – the last time they won a title was in 94 with Dale Earnhardt. Like, they, they want to get back to prominence. And they've never had – well, I won't say – I mean, Harvick, I think, was capable. I don't think the performance of the car was there. Um, They've had some great drivers, but the level of the the organization wasn't there to contend for a title. I think the next general car, they proved last year winning four races as an organization they can win. They can win now. And I think a reset's really good for Kyle, kind of like with Brady and the Patriots. And he just needed a reset. He went to the box and he was able to win a Super Bowl in his first year. And Kyle says, I want to pull a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning. This is the reset I needed to resurrect my career. Let's be honest, the last few years have not bared a lot of fruit. So I think it was probably best for all parties involved to kind of separate and reset. There is a massive, we were talking about this today on the show, there is no bigger spotlight on anyone in that cup garage, bigger or brighter than than it will be on Kyle in that eight-card RCR. Everyone is looking to see if this is going to create the spark that, that Kyle keeps promising it will.
2: It's always scary when you give a driver as talented as Kyle Busch, one that's accomplished so much across all three of NASCAR's biggest series, Not just a chip on his shoulder, but a boulder now to go out there and take the us against the world mentality, what that could translate to. And I think Chris and I are going to be fascinated more than anything else to see how he's priced race in, race out from a gambling perspective. And if he struggles early, if that's going to lend itself to a little bit of wagering opportunity as the season progresses. I mean, we talked at the top of the show about the next gen car being the overarching storyline going into 2022 Kyle Busch, obviously, driving the eight this year, the swan song for Kevin Harvick uh, as he rides off into the sunset. I mean, what are some of the biggest storylines that you're looking to follow for the upcoming season?
0: I think Kyle Busch is probably first and foremost. It might play under the radar, but keep your eye on Tyler Reddick in the 45 car at 2311 racing. Tyler Reddick vacated the eight car. Now Kyle Busch is going in it. I think Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan have a superstar in their hands that is just waiting to explode. Um, I think Tyler was looking for more security at RCR. I have no idea why they decided not to reinvest in a long-term contract. I think it's going to come back to bite them because Tyler Reddick is a stud. And Denny Hamlin said competing against him, remember, Jeff Gordon discovered Jimmy Johnson racing against him in the Xfinity series. He was like, this guy's freaking good everywhere. How's nobody signed him? Denny saw that in Tyler, and he's good. He's like, he's consistently fast and makes speed on every single style track. Kind of quietly said, are you available? And Tyler was like, yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) Denny's getting this like massive, I think, a star on the rise. He won three races last year. I I think Tyler Reddick, I'm going to watch. He's replacing Kurt Busch. Um, who sadly his career had to come to an end with with the concussion stuff last year. But um, I think Tyler's going to be a stud. Jimmy Johnson coming back, it was announced he's doing five races this year. The 500 is the only one we know of. Um, Just inverted his iconic number. So he's in the 84. Um, That's a really big one. And then I I think Kyle Larson was, like, untouchable in 2021. And then we kind of went, what's he doing in 2022? Like, what happened to Kyle Larson? And I was talking to his crew chief, Cliff Daniels, last week, and he's like, a lot of that was on us. Like, we just had, like, weird mechanical issues, and we didn't really know what we didn't know about this car, and Kyle was adjusting to it. Um, He went from winning 10 races, you know, in 2021 2021 in the championship, um, and then, you know, last season, four races is nothing to sneeze at, um, but it was very un-Kyle-like. He got bounced really early in the postseason, which was just really shocking um, they swear that they have things shored up now and that they're going to, the five cars going to be back. So that's another one. Can Kyle Larson kind of be the Kyle Larson that he was not that long ago?
2: And Worm, rest assured that uh, we're not going to treat you like Tyler Reddick was at RCR. You're appreciated around (laughs) here at the Bet the Board offices. You're properly compensated for your contributions. So you're under a contract that's about as ironclad if you decide you want to call on any attorney to try and loosen some of those purse strings. Thank you. (laughs) Perfect. You know, well, a couple other things before we let you go. And can't thank you enough, Danielle. And for those folks uh, who aren't sure exactly who we're talking to, it's Danielle Trotta. You can hear her Monday through Friday on Sirius XM from 11 to 1 o'clock Eastern. And you can also see her on Fox. Well, I should say it's Fox Business Season 2 of My Dream Car. Is it already underway? I'm sure you guys have it in the can. But when can our loyal audience tune in and check that out?
0: Yeah, we wrapped um, in November, so it's ready to go. We just need um, the official word from Fox Business. So I'll let the folks kind of announce when it's going to come out, but it's sooner rather than later. I guess I can say that. Um, So yeah, I hope people check it out. It's not like a, a gearhead car show like some of the others that are out there. What attracted me to it was exactly that. It's really about finding like, cool iconic cars that have been in somebody's garage um, or junkyard for decades. And there's a family that really wants to salvage it for somebody they love. So we go in and we restore it with one of our expert builders. um, And we just kind of pimp it out and it looks better than it ever, even a a lot of times than it did even originally. And then we surprise somebody they love very much with this car. Um, And the reveals are always huge and we do them in really cool places. And the family members, we have like our cameras hidden everywhere. So they have no idea what's coming um and so i'm like hi surprise here's your car and they're just like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and it's uh it's just a really heartwarming uh sweet car show but i think it's more about it's definitely about the car but it's also um like people that are really deserving gold star families um veterans people that have faced health issues and couldn't work on the car themselves we really try to find families across the country um that don't like have a ton of money necessarily They just have a really wonderful story um, that I think the viewer can attach themselves to. So yeah, thanks for asking about it.
2: Oh, there's a lot to be said about human interest pieces. And I know it's a little bit different when you're dealing with folks uh, along those lines than some of the highly paid athletes that you've encountered not only during your time in motorsports, but doing sideline reporting in the NFL. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a different dynamic. And one thing that we obviously spend a ton of time talking about here at Stay Green is the Cup Series. We know that's what people want to bet first and foremost. Chris and I dabble in Trucks and Xfinity, uh, tougher to move money through those particular markets the way we would like with some of the pricing, but did want to highlight one name in the series. You talked at the top about diversity and how big a role it's played in the sports' ongoing growth and evolution. Haley Deegan, what should some of our listeners expect from her? Everything you read now, there's no excuses. She's going to be in top tier equipment. Do we think she can be the next great thing to hit motorsports and kind of open a new frontier for women racers and have a chance to compete year in, year out if she gets to the Cup Series?
0: I mean, listen, Todd, Ford would love it if if that's the road that, that she's about to climb, you know, towards greatness. They are putting a ton of resources into her to really be, I mean, let's be honest, let's call it what it is. I mean, you know, they're chasing Danica Patrick and why wouldn't you, right? The most, one of the most iconic female racers certainly of, of my generation um, and there's Patty Moise and, and certainly others that paved the way for Danica but we've really had this massive female void on the driver's side and there's Jen Jo Cobb and Natalie Decker and there's certainly been been others but nothing that's really stuck. Um, Amber Balkans in the ARCA series, she's really trying to make a name for herself um, I would love to see NASCAR bring more women to the forefront in engineering roles, um, certainly in other roles behind the scenes within the team, um, more female engineers. But in terms of like of Haley, I, I think everybody in the NASCAR world right now is like a, a weed and see. She left the team that she was with in David Gillen last year. She's moved over to Thor Sport Racing, which is a perennial championship contending team. And that's no disrespect to D- DGR where she was. But Thor Sport is arguably, if not the best, one of the top three teams in trucks. So there's good and bad with that. The good is Haley's going to be given the best of the best. And some of her teammates like Matt Crafton are multi-time truck champions. And he told me, he's like, listen, I was there the first day at the shop. I'm not going to seek her out. But if she wants to come ask me a million questions to get better, I'll answer all of them. And he's like, she did that immediately. So I think the desire that is there. I think the talent is there. She just has to put it all together. The bad side is be- of being with a down team is you have no more excuses if you don't perform. So everybody's waiting to see what Haley can do. There's also an argument out there because she ran one Xfinity race last year, ran like top 13, finished 14th in it. And so everyone was like, oh, maybe we have the right girl. She's just in the wrong series because yep. the trucks drive completely different than, than anything else. I don't know if Ford shopped her around and just couldn't make a deal work in the Xfinity series. That was maybe the route I was hoping she would go, is just jump to Saturdays. But I think, you know, the argument is, well, you haven't done anything in trucks to be deserving of an Xfinity ride. I would throw out that formula. We see guys doing it all the time now. They'll just jump right to Xfinity, spend a year, and if they're really good, they'll go straight to Cup. I don't know that she needs to spend half half a decade in the truck series to prove herself, but I know a lot of people do feel that way that they need to see more consistency she had two top 10s last season they want to see they want to see her up front contending for wins i have no doubt her truck is going to be capable we'll see if haley can put it all together
2: It's what NASCAR needs. I mean, it needs some of those storylines and some of the secondary series that are out there to get more eyeballs on the races that are going on on Friday nights and Saturdays before we see some of the biggest names in cup for sure. Chris, I have one more hard hitting question for Danielle, but I want to make sure if you had anything left that you wanted to ask her before we do that, that I gave you the floor.
1: Uh, Well, I'm just I'm kind of curious who your pick is for the year. Who's going to be the kind of who's going to be the standout performer you think in the like, okay, I don't want to say standout because you could obviously just say Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson or Ryan (laughs) Blaney. Okay. Who's going to be the biggest surprise this year in the cup series?
0: Yeah, that's, that's hard. Um, well, I think in 2022, Ross Chastain was certainly the surprise. Um, so it was like, where the hell did this kid come from? Like you gave him a good car and he just became like, he's fought for a championship. And I, Larry Max, like, he's going to the championship for. I was like, you're insane. I will sell my house. That <laughs> if that happens, that will never happen. It takes guys like five, seven years to make the championship for My man went out and got a good ride and did it in his first year. I was shocked. Um, so I think that's like a question we're asking too. Like who's going to be the Ross Chastain of 2023? Um I've talked about him before, and I know that Tyler Reddick, you know, for a lot of people is a newer name. He did win three races, but he was also booted, like, after the first round of the playoffs. It wouldn't shock me if Tyler made, like, a really deep run. Like, it wouldn't shock me. Another name um, that people might be aware of, maybe not, Christopher Bell. Joe Gibbs Racing had a breakout year last year fought in the championship four. Um, And a lot of people looked at him the last handful of years next to Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, and Martin Truex, like, oh, he's just like the new kid on the block that hasn't really done much at Gibbs. He was kind of like the, I don't want to say redheaded stepchild, but like he was surrounded by just like such immense talent. He was often overlooked. Well, Kyle's gone now. Truex didn't win a race all last year. Denny Hamlin, I think, is like the strongest driver there, but Christopher Bell's the only one that fought for a title. Denny didn't make the championship for Christopher did. So like let's put some respect on this young kid's name. And a lot of people just don't talk about him. Um for whatever reason. He's not flashy. He doesn't have a big outgoing personality. He doesn't do a lot of social. So he because he doesn't really care. Like the kid just wants to get in a car and race. So he's not talked about a lot. Um but if I had to give another name other than Tyler I would keep my eye on that 20 car. I really do think Christopher Bell could be dangerous.
1: So Music I, my, your nickname, ears, Chris. my nickname for Chris Bell is AI, not Alan Iverson, but like artificial intelligence, because he starts the race and it's like, wait, he's fading. Like he, I thought that Toyotas were going to be good. He qualifies fairly well. And then the next thing you know, he's, you know, made a mistake on pit road. He's at the tail end of the longest line on the restart. And then he passes away. And by the end, he's like the new closer. Like he learned so much. Remember he's, he hasn't you know been in the cup series so long where he's used to the cup cars and, uh, you know, whether the, the old transmission versus the way that they shift now has an effect on that, but he just like kind of absorbs everything. And by the time the end of the comes the end of the race, it's like, well, you got Chris bell back there in eighth with four fresh tires. And it's like he's the first guy on four fresh tires. And, man, it won him some races. I mean, it won him his first road course race after Daytona. Just He was on the freshest tires, and I think he passed Larson to win. He just learned so much throughout the course of the race. If he does that again this season, he's going to be tough to beat when it comes down to those final eight drivers.
2: It's interesting, guys, because you talk about it. We've grown so accustomed to some of the veterans there, knowing that Denny's got one year left on his deal. Christopher Bell, poised to be the heir apparent at JGR, is the flagship driver there. We saw Stuart Haas make a commitment to Chase Briscoe for a long contract, knowing that Kevin Harvick has got one season left. Uh, It's amazing how much a sport can change in just a few short years, from some of those iconic drivers handing the baton off to some young, talented drivers. Sport's in a great spot. So, Danielle, this is the toughest question that we've asked the entire time. You're in and around the sport on a daily basis. You know the drivers, you know the brass, you know the personalities, the TV side if we at Stay green had the power to make you the commissioner of NASCAR for just one season or for one day, what's the first thing that you'd look to change in the sport and why, whether it's to grow viewership, whether it's to get younger fans, whether it's racing, you can wave your magic wand and change one thing. What would you want to change about the sport?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would probably one thing that like, well, we don't have a combine. And as a stick and ball fan, I really wish that we had some kind of combined NFL draft system (laughs) Um, because one, it's an incredible watch, but also the pipeline is always full of incredible talent. And I think that leads me to my decision, like we rely so much and I don't blame the teams, but their lifeblood is sponsorship. And so too often in this sport. There are drivers in every single series. I don't want to say that they're only there because they have money, but they're only there because they have money. And I don't blame them because their family has a lot of money and they want to be a race car driver. But there's a difference between, you know, being a race car driver and being somebody that drives a car. And we have too many of those still, in my opinion. Again, I don't blame the owners for hiring them because they have massive amounts of money to keep the doors open. So team owners have to make those decisions. But for the betterment of the sport, Todd, for the betterment of the viewership, why would you not want the best talent and not just the richest kids, you know, that, that have a pile of money? So if we are going to restructure this deal in 2025, and NASCAR and the teams right now are at odds, are trying to figure out, you know, the teams are asking for more money. Um, than they currently have because they say they're operating at a loss and they have to rely too much on sponsorships, which is why these decisions are made. So if NASCAR is able to loosen up the purse purse strings a little bit, give teams enough money to where they don't have to make these decisions, they can just go after the best talent on the face of the earth. How does that not make the sport better?
2: How does that not make
0: the racing better? To me, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but I would love to see us not so dependent on sponsorship.
2: It makes a ton of sense, and honestly, Danielle, I think you just pitched your next show idea. Depending on who we see as the NASCAR partners that are there, it's NASCAR's version of the UFC Contender Series. On Tuesday nights, we got drivers out there (laughs) racing on dirt, they're racing midgets, they're racing late models to try and figure out who has the best driving talent that deserves a ride in the Cup Series, and we can only hope that the sport continues to can grow its grassroots initiatives and everything else that's out there, that it's not just those folks that can show up with a seven-figure check from Kubota, Mahindra, and some of the other big sponsors that are out there that we know are the lifeblood of the sport. In reality, NASCAR ceases to exist if we don't have those companies spending money. But to your point, you'd love the combination of skill, to continue to grow, thrive, and hopefully become accessible for folks that otherwise yeah. wouldn't have an opportunity to race in the top series.
0: Well, you bring up such a good point, Todd, because it does start at a low level. And you guys probably see this in stick and ball. I mean, these kids have to be competitive at five, six, seven years old, whatever sport they choose. The difference is it costs tens of thousands. I mean, you're talking like bandolero races. I mean, these parents are spending 10, 15, 20, $30,000. The average Joe does not have that much money or anywhere near it to invest. And that's when these kids aren't even 10. I mean, these kids now are starting at four, five, six years old. And so what do you pay for a kid's education or do you pay for the kids' race car? <laughs> do you, you know, throw away the college fund or do you give them a year in Bandolero and that's just one year? It's like it's mind-boggling how much these parents are having to spend. So you're right, there's this trickle-down effect. Yes, it's very expensive in the in the top levels of the sport but it really starts at the grassroots level and making this more accessible, I think also opens the doors for diversity um, and other people of you know, all socioeconomic means. Uh, it should just be about a dream. It should just be about a kid that wants to pick up a ball and see if he's got a good shot. It should just be about a kid that wants to go see if he can turn a fast lap and it doesn't matter how rich his parents are. It doesn't matter if he's black, white, female, male. I, I do wish that the sport was more accessible to get into We have a long way to go to get there. And I I understand the differences. We have this like massive machine that does, unfortunately cost more than a pair of tennis shoes and a piece of pigskin that will probably never change. Um, But if they're, you know, Dale Jr. just bought the Cars Tour, um, which is a a late model um, feeder series where kids are coming in 12 years old. Kevin Harvick, Justin Marks, Jeff Burton are all a part of it. And that is something that they're really invested in is making this more accessible, Finding a feeder system to like great get great young talent up to the Trucks, of Xfinity, and Cup Series level. I think the Cars Tour is in great hands with those guys because they really do care about the future of the sport, which See, is, something this,
2: is that where, we're seeing. this is where it's key for my unborn children to make sure they pick up the phone, call Uncle Chris, and get him to cut a pretty generous oh, yeah. check to get them behind the wheel of a car to promote whatever products he wants. You can follow Danielle Trotta on Twitter. That's at Danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-T-R-O-T-T-A. Watch her on Host My Dream Car Season 2 coming very soon. She'll share that on her social media. But more importantly, turn in, tune in Excuse me, every Monday through Friday, Sirius XM Channel 90 from 11 to 1 Eastern. Her and Larry Mack do an outstanding job offering fresh perspective on NASCAR and everything you can expect to see any given race weekend and hopefully make you more profitable. Danielle, I said when uh, we had you on, it was going to be a short, quick interview. I lied a little bit. Can't <laughs> you enough for all your time and your perspective. We're going to have to do this again sometime soon.
0: Yeah, I would love it. I told you guys as much time as you need. Um, are we throwing out? Who do you guys pick for the clash? Because I need to make my pick on Friday.
2: Chris, this is uh, all, all on, on you. If you, got a, if you got somewhere you want to go.
0: Pick. We just have like a fantasy league, but I want to kick Larry Mack's ass. He kicked mine last year. So I will, again, Todd, he's never going to know I did this pod. How, I need help, though. So help well, me. Well, that's disappointing.
2: Larry's supposed to be tuning into this podcast every single week. You know, when we get you to try and push him to be our next guest on the show in anticipation of America's race, he's going to know all about Stay Green. So, you know, we may have to do this off the air, but go ahead, Chris. I know we haven't covered it on the show yet. If you want to offer a little perspective on a couple of drivers that have caught your eye.
1: Well, I would say... It depends like are you picking one driver and you can't use them the rest of the year or is it
0: no limit we have no i can use same. St- i could pick chase elliott every week if i wanted <laughs> i don't okay but
1: good. i would say <laughs> i would take kyle bush and here's my thought process behind it the eight car was arguably the best car there last year until he had a mechanical issue yeah. i still am not a believer that. Tyler Reddick is a better, more versatile driver than Kyle Busch. We're going to find out this year. But if you put Kyle Busch in some of the race cards that Tyler Reddick had last year, I think he has at least three wins. So because you don't have to go through the, um, you know, look at it through an odds lens. I think you just stick with Kyle Busch, uh, at the Clash. He's probably the favorite at most places. I think that's a safe bet. And I'll tell you what, it will get a lot of eyes if he struggles. It will be yeah. like the end of the world for that someone yeah. that was living in a pretty good world in the 18 and that m and Camry and thinks he's just going to come in and everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies. That'll be interesting. I would go with Kyle Busch, but I might be biased because he's made me more money than any other driver in the sport. So um, I try to fight bias as much as I can. I would go with Kyle Busch.
0: You want to know who Larry's pick was?
1: Who's or who?
0: Kyle Busch.
1: <laughs> oh no. Okay. Um,
0: I mean, well, I just Larry's a smart guy. <laughs> I was like, give me a short list. And he was like, we start with Kyle Bush. Um, even though Joey Logano won. So if I pick first, which I came in last, so last picks first, so I'll get the first pick, which makes it better because you are telling me it's the guy to go with, but I will steal his guy, which makes it even sweeter. So I'll go with Kyle.
1: Perfect. See, I don't know super- who the second would be. I honestly don't. <laughs> I know Kyle's number one. I wouldn't know who the next person to take would be.
0: I would say Reddick or Bell. They're both really good and they performed well there last year and they're both pretty good at short. I don't know. Joey Logano won. I don't know how we can disrespect our champion and the guy who won the I race. So, I know.
1: I fight bias with him more than anybody. Like, I, I, I just, I even post on my Twitter who's the one driver that you constantly have to fight your personal bias with and it's mine's Joey Logano whenever even when I think he's good he's not and then sometimes when he, you know I don't think he's going to be good he's great I, I don't know I struggle with Logano so much and it's crazy because he was so good last year and won the championship and it really wasn't close I mean I, I kind of and yet here we are talking about a I... driver in Kyle Busch, who was terrible last year. Oh. And then we're going with Kyle or Tyler yeah. Reddick, who is in new equipment this year. Yeah. And we're going with Chris Bell, who's like, it's his third year. And yet Joey Logano's like, I have two championships and coming yeah. off a win and we don't even mention him. So I... here I am doing it again.
0: <laughs> Overlook the 22. Yeah, or be forsaken.
2: Such outstanding content. When you get to talk to someone uh, like Danielle, who's reported on the sport for so long, worked in the broadcast, she's run pre-race shows, Monday through Friday, has great relationships with a lot of the drivers out there. Uh, And I kind of joke with you after we recorded that interview that we figured we'd get Danielle for 15 or 20 minutes, and the conversation kind of took on a mind of its own.
1: That's the cool part about, you know, the sport is there's so many different angles and elements and layers and she's so good at the the silly season stuff and some of the stuff that we don't see as, as I would say, just professional betters trying to, to make, uh, make money. She understands the the culture way more than we do. And you can tell she's super passionate. I mean, there was, she was never looking at her phone or trying to get off the interview. It was like, no, I'll stay as long <laughs> as you want. And that's always so refreshing. Uh, so I appreciate her coming on and it was nice to, you know, kind of have just someone from the, the strictly the media side of things and their perspective on the sport, and you know, with that that, that NASCAR layer uh, or the betting layer of NASCAR. So, really appreciate her coming on. Hopefully, we can continue uh, great guests uh, in the future. Maybe not every show, but uh, whenever we get a chance to find someone intriguing or passionate, I- I'd love to have them on again.
2: For sure. We'll effort uh, all that we can to exhaust every channel that we have access to to bring on some big personalities from the media side, Uh, maybe get more in depth to the teams if they allow us some access. I don't think we're going to be able to land current drivers given the sensitive nature of some of our topics, but at the same time should be a fun, unique wrinkle that we can throw into the mix and break things up Uh, and also provide a little bit different perspective because I know you and I get bogged down in the minutiae sometimes of being sports betters. to your point. So it's good to have that refresher and get that full 360 look uh, at all things NASCAR and Danielle someone very near and dear to me kind of took on the mentorship role when I started on race hub years ago although I appreciate you you know sharing that you were the mastermind behind my fantasy dominance as I put her Larry McReynolds some of the former drivers in their place so it takes a team to go out there and win and you know we'll we'll see what we can do to try and uh, repay the favor in some capacity but one storyline we hit on with Danielle and I want to get to with you before we break down the clash is talking about Kyle Busch and his move to the 8. You look at the Childress drivers last year, Dylan and Tyler Reddick. They won four races combined. Both drivers made the playoffs, and it was the most successful season for RCR since Kevin Harvick won four races for the organization back in 2013. But it's been a long time since RCR has won a championship. You have to go back to 1994 with the addition of a consummate professional, at least in some capacities, at Kyle Busch. You have to think that RCR as an organization is going to take a step forward. It's a new ride for Kyle after 18 years of being at Joe Gibbs Racing in Mr. Toyota across all series. First time he's been in a Chevy since he drove for Rick Hendrick from 2004 to 2007, which, full disclosure, was before I started following NASCAR, so I had to get a brief history lesson there. And when you look at the season Kyle had last year, his only victory came in the Bristol Dirt Race. And anybody who watched that race on Easter Sunday, he wasn't the best car. It took fortuitous bounces for him to end up grabbing the checkered flag, but. You know, familiar face in a new place. You look at Kyle Busch and where he stacks up in the pantheon of futures odds. We can get to odds to win the championship a little bit more in depth. But he's the one driver that I wanted to pick your brain on a bit.
1: I, I'm super excited for kind of this fresh start for Kyle Busch. And I, I try to look at, you know, drivers as objectively as possible and try not to pick favorites. And it's really hard with Kyle Busch because remember the guys won in all series and as you know we bet on all of these series so he's probably won me more money than anyone else and so yeah. uh, you kind of you've c-
2: had me you've had me run you've had me run to more MGM books over the years to try and get down on Kyle Bush at ridiculous Xfinity prices. So much so I had to figure out strategically the fastest way I could get into various books where I could get the most money down and try and bet them once, twice or three times before they caught on and move those numbers.
1: I mean, we used to see him like three and three and a half to one in the Xfinity series. I mean, that was like club and baby seals. I mean, it was, uh, it was a money printing factory.
2: Great. And there goes our sponsorship. with Worm. <laughs> Thanks buddy. We really appreciate yeah, sorry it. Sorry
1: about that. Um, yeah, anyway, but it I, I want to make sure that I look at this objectively, and you you have to look at the car and the driver, and if you look at just the eight car in general, that car was a rocket on road courses last year, with the exception of probably two. I don't think he was the best car at Watkins Glen, and I don't think he was the best car at Sonoma, but that, that, would, that means that the eight car was probably the best car on the other four road courses, or at least very competitive. I still think if you put Kyle Busch in that car, he wins more races than Tyler Reddick. Now, I could be proven wrong. I think Tyler Reddick is an incredible talent, and he's super great You know, for the sport. I love his mentality, and he's going to be great. He's going to go on and win races for Toyota. But I just think that right now, if you give Kyle Busch a race-winning car— you know 6 or 7 times throughout the year which is exactly what that 8 team gave Tyler Reddick. I think Ty- Kyle bush will cash in on more victories. Where I get concerned with Kyle Busch, he does have a new spotter this year, but it's the same spotter that he had in the 51 truck and has been a part of of um you know KBM for a while now. Um I struggle with Kyle in his emotions. I mean if Kyle doesn't have a perfect car he is complaining and i imagine that that war on the 18 teams and everyone at joe gibbs racing and probably toyota so i wonder how that dynamic will change at rcr if he kind of turns over a new leaf his brother was able to when he went through that crazy time in his life you know kurt bush really turned the corner and calmed down and really really helped out you know 23xi racing i'm hoping kyle bush can do the same thing And, you know, I think that even though he was the fastest often on mile and a half tracks, I still think that he can do the same thing in the eight because I think that was more of not only was it just raw horsepower and speed on the straights, but the ability to know how to drive that that Gen 7 car, this new car that we have uh, and, and make speed on mile and a half. So I think he'll carry that over to the eight. I see him winning a few races and hopefully contending for the championship.
2: Well, when you look at it, and I think this opens up a discussion that we can kind of tease and get into a little bit more extensively when we break down Daytona, knowing that's a little bit more of a crapshoot from a race perspective, so we'll talk about some of the season-long opportunities When you look at drivers and you assess all the markets, and we've seen an increased menu uh, across a lot of the NASCAR partner books so far, whether it be odds to win the championship, whether it be over-under season win totals, et cetera, what's your kind of overall philosophy when it comes to tying up your money for essentially nine months, which is longer than if you're betting win totals in Major League Baseball, the NFL, points totals in the NHL, or or some of the more traditional sports uh, that we've grown accustomed to from a betting standpoint?
1: Well, I'm just going to want to see an increased payout. I mean, that carry, you know, tying up money for that long to win a unit doesn't really have me excited. Um, you know, I see Kyle Bush's win total, you know, anywhere from, I think it's one and a half, right around even money at one and a half on the over. And that doesn't really get me too excited. I, I like to look at future prices. Uh, you know, anytime I can get a payout of 10 to one or more, I guess it all depends on the driver, right? You, you know, if, if, You get, you know, obviously if you get Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson at 10 to 1 or more, you should bet that. But, uh, you know, Kyle Busch is kind of hovering around between that 14 or 16 to 1 for the championship. The reason I like that is because if you can get a win earlier in the season, obviously his price is going to drop a little bit. And you're going to see maybe some other guys rise that you think could win later in the season. And you're able to kind of hedge out of a larger payout versus just a, a, you know, making one position on a you know a season total bet
2: Yeah, I mean hey look, I mean that's the great part about some of the betting markets and obviously everyone's got different Bankroll constraints when it comes to being able to tie up your money for longer periods of time. We allocate, you know, based on percentages, a lot of times Kelly criterion for season long stuff. But my general rule is I have to have a much more substantial edge if I'm going to tie up my money for longer than a week to week basis, knowing that if I take that capital out of commission, I can't roll it over and be nearly as profitable with it. And last year was honestly the first season that I'd bet season long futures for NASCAR. Uh, I mean, was able to get a good price on Ross Chastain earlier in the year when you told me to bet him for Coda and figured, all right, if Worm's (laughs) going to be betting him at prices to win races, I may as well take a little flyer that he can be in the thick of things late in the year. We obviously gave out Christopher Bell on stay green and was hoping because that would have been the most profitable position for me. Didn't add or have the foresight to add to him at 100-1 to 1 in either of those elimination races to have Joey Logano come home. But it's always interesting, and the name of the game is you guys and girls out there that are listening, whether it's the first time you heard Stay Green or you listened to a number of episodes last year. It's all about profitability, survive in advance, and being able to mitigate some of the damage that inevitably is done to your bankroll race to race. race, to race. If you go small loss, small loss, big win. That's the kind of situations we want to set up. And I think that provides a logical segue because I know everybody is champing at the bit to try and get out there and bet the first race of the season. And I'm not talking about the Daytona 500, but the clash that we're going to see from LA Coliseum uh, this coming Saturday, which I think is, or Sunday, which is February 5th, you look at the odds, and this is a little bit more of a market consensus. Chase Elliott and Joey Logano, depending on where you shop, right around 7.5 to 1. Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell, the other two drivers that find themselves in single digits, and then you get into a little bit of a log jam. Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Ross Chastain, William Byron, and Tyler Reddick, guys that find themselves from a low end of 10 to 1 upwards of 20 to 1. We know, or at least we should anticipate, plenty of action on the quarter-mile track packed inside one of the world's most iconic venues. Obviously, NASCAR took a little bit of a risk last year, and it paid off in spades running this thing in the Memorial Coliseum. But we're repaving again, Worm, and we always have those questions. You're putting down a fresh asphalt surface. You do have a little bit more data on the next-gen cars that we didn't last year when they ran the race. Qualifying unique, we're going to get heat race lineups and a variety of other elements that are going to factor in. When you go about assessing the clash, do you feel more confident handicapping this year's race, or is it still very much a wait and see approach for you?
1: Oh, if I feel a little bit more confidence, it's it's a few basis points of a percent. I mean, this is uh, it's still there's still so many unknowns, and you think about you know if if you you know take a, a college football team, how different that team is from week one of the the season to the 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 bowl game, I mean, the the team has changed entirely. So the same thing happens in NASCAR. This is the first time we saw those cars on track last year. I mean, just a plethora of unknowns. This year, you know, but then they went the entire season. They were able to learn a lot. Teams got smarter. I think that there were – the difference between teams, the margin shrunk. So, you know, teams were – it was much harder to pass, I think, later in the season, depending on the track. And now we're going into the new season. We've made a, a, a few changes to the car. I still think there's so many unknowns. And also when you repave a track, that there has to be an element of unknown as well there. So I think that there's some things you could take, you know, guys that are able to drive into the corner. Well, I think that's really important because a lot of the passes that are made or that were made last year at the class, it was kind of the bump and run. So if you're able to drive the car in a little deeper than, you know, the car behind you, even if they're making up ground on the, the straightaway, well, it's not even straight. It's like a football. If they're able to if you're able to drive I the car, did there. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're able to drive into the corner a little bit further and not allow that car behind you to get to your bumper, it's going to be really, really hard to pass. So uh, I like those, those road course racer, racers that have the ability to outbreak guys. I think that there's a little bit of, uh, you know, an edge for those guys, but nothing that I'm running to the window and, uh, you know, placing a wager at this point.
2: Uh, It is important to make note that it's a season-opening exhibition race. Obviously, no points. Uh, I give NASCAR credit for trying to be a little bit creative. We're going to have medals issued, gold, silver, and bronze, knowing that this was a former Olympic venue and will once again be one when the Olympics return to Los Angeles. And for those folks that want to know how they can go about watching the race, February 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. You can listen on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. As far as some of the on-track activities, things will get underway Saturday night. 6 p.m. Eastern, practice will be done in three groups. And at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, qualifying all of that on FS1. And that's when things really get crazy on Sunday. Uh, when it starts at 5 p.m. Eastern, you'll have heat races, four of them, 25 laps each. Then you'll have two separate Last chance qualifying races, those will go 50 laps each. And then at 8 p.m. Eastern, as we said, the Bushlight Light Clash will get underway when they drop the green flag. All sorts of entertainment. If you find yourself on the West Coast and you've never been to a NASCAR race, can't encourage you guys enough to go out there, check this out. It's the perfect way to digest NASCAR in small bites, more so than throwing yourself into the deep end and sitting through the Coke 600 uh, on Memorial Day weekend. Um, and, I mean, you talk a little bit about this race. You mentioned some of the unique qualities of this particular track. When you go about handicapping, are there any comps that you can use from last year's full season, whether it's a short track, whether it's you know a track that's got high banking, flat you know corners, anything that you're putting into that equation, even if you're willing to take a flyer pre-week, or is all of your heavy lifting going to be done after you watch qualifying and practice?
1: Yeah, practice and qualifying is going to be important. I don't think that you can take anything away from you know maybe a little bit from the clash last year I think that maybe driver comments might be more important you know if you go ahead and listen to some of the interviews from after the race guys that were really uncomfortable at the track they're probably going to be uncomfortable again because some of them may have only had that 25 lap heat races and then they were done for the day I know that was kind of Ross Chastain's deal last year he, he was able to get in the last chance qualifier but you know last year when Ross struggled I chalked that up to well track house what did you expect well I was completely wrong because he went out there and was competitive in Fontana and obviously competitive at Phoenix and Vegas so the speed was in the race car I just don't think Ross was comfortable there so I haven't heard anything from you know the the track house camp on on whether Ross likes the track or not but I will be out there at the race uh, this weekend so Hopefully I can uh, scrounge up some good driver interviews because I think that a lot of this comes down to, you know, rhythm and comfortability. You know, the guys that that are comfortable on these short tracks and can find a rhythm are able to to make up ground, whereas guys that are uncomfortable and they're constantly driving, you know, with the rearview mirror, I, I think they tend to struggle and they find themselves either out of the race or fading like a rock.
2: I mean, it's good to know you're going to be there because if we bet a couple of these guys, uh, I'm going to be looking for a banana in the tailpipe, a debris caution or something (laughs) to try and shuffle up the field. When you look at some of the notes from last year's race, there were 384 total passes for position in the main event. Highlighted by Joey Logano passing Kyle Bush for the race lead and giving himself the eventual historic victory. When you look at Logano and Kyle Bush, only four drivers ran the entire 150 lap feature inside the top 10 and even fewer remained inside the top five. Some of the biggest movers there, Eric Jones and AJ Almondinger, rallied their way through the field in imposing fashion. Jones started 16th, eight rows deep in the field and impressively finished fourth. Meanwhile, Dinger started even further back in 21st and fought his way through the commotion for a ninth place result. So there was a little bit bit of passing a little bit of movement we'll see how aggressive these drivers want to get Uh, and a good way for nascar to kick off the season as i think folks within the nascar community drivers crew chiefs what have you will say that running at daytona for the clash when you were just picking your junker super speedway car even on the road course it had grown stale so a good way for nascar to try and reinvent itself give the west coast another signature event alongside the two mile oval high tire wear that we'll see at fontana in a couple weeks
1: yeah, R.I.P. with Fontana. That just every time yeah, I hear I mean, that, yeah. I you're gonna have to
2: pour. You're gonna have to pour one out when we break down the final two mile oval at uh, Auto Club Speedway in a couple weeks.
1: It's almost like NASCAR says, "Oh, what's your guys' favorite track? Okay, we'll get, we'll change it." I mean, I, I just, <laughs> I, I understand that, that it's a complicated thing, you know, and that I think that that, it, you know, the Fontana racetrack at the in- Inland Empire. I imagine that that real estate is. Uh, worth a pretty penny and they're probably making a business decision and I know that it's not that they don't they don't it's not that they don't like the racy racetrack and the, the high tire wear and the multiple grooves that everyone loves so much I think it was more of a business decision uh, but I think it's great to have you know a venue like you know the Coliseum I mean NASCAR was willing to take the risk it's something we don't see before and I'm really excited to see what it looks like with you know 27 cars on a quarter mile track at, at the Coliseum I've never been there and I, I think that they did a hell of a job last year. And if they can pull it off again, uh, we, we could see, uh, you know, kind of a turnkey for NASCAR to use us potentially in other cities that have venues, something like the Coliseum. So, you know, you could even maybe go to the big house in Michigan or, you know, I don't know what out there on the East coast is possible, but you might see this, uh, you know, kind of turnkey scenario where they turn up, uh, you know, a football field into a a track and they've knocked it out of a park so far. So I'm looking forward to them uh, doing the same thing this year.
2: And you mentioned the twenty seven cars. That's actually four more than competed in the A main event last year where there were just twenty three. So what does that mean for the casual fan tuning in? A lot more banging at the back of the field. So it should make things all that more interesting. And you bring up an interesting point. If this continues to be successful I'm going to plant the seed for NASCAR if they don't want to admit it. They've talked a long time about street circuits, and we're going to see that for the first time in Chicago. But if you can't do that in New York City, hey, look, MetLife Stadium, if the schedule is open, the tri-state area there would be a great spot to have a NASCAR race inside a football stadium. Uh, I know it's AstroTurf, not turf, don't know the legalities and everything else that comes along with it. But anytime we can get another major media market in there and expose folks to NASCAR, much like this race did last year, where NASCAR said 70% of the ticket buyers were first time to NASCAR, Uh, we can only hope it's great for the growth of the sport.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. I'd love to see them pull this off somewhere else just to prove that it is doable i don't know what the logistics are you know la is a you know it's almost like its own country there so there might be some some logistical issues by bringing it out east but man i'd love to see it and i'm excited to to go this weekend and i've never been to a short track so the the shortest track i've been to i guess well Never mind, I lied. We went to Richmond this year, but I've never seen like a... We were, at Rich- a- <laughs> we were at Richmond last year, but uh, good yeah. memory. Yeah, yeah of you, thank buddy. you. Yeah, I, I, I went I really to both Phoenix that. races and Richmond, but I've never been to a short track. I guess I don't consider <laughs> those short tracks relevant. Well, this would
2: be the definition of a short track. It would be a quarter mile. So it would be the shortest track that NASCAR <laughs> yeah. runs. So by default, you are technically correct in that regard. You mentioned high tire wear tracks. I'm not going to share with our listenership just yet in terms of what body parts you said you would glue to the track if they ever decided to come (laughs) to Darlington with a little bit of a repaint. You, of course, can follow Chris on Twitter. That's at ChrisWormy15. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there. Most importantly, as always, follow the podcast at BetTheBoardPod, and you can follow the first ever featured guest on the Stay Green podcast, Danielle Trotta, at Danielle Trotta. And Wormser, This is the part of the program where normally we introduce a best bet of sorts, and it sounded like you're going to take the wait-and-see approach uh, when it comes to betting the clash, whether it be head-to-head matchups, outrights, or anything else along those lines. So I'm not sure where you may or may not want to go on this, but do you see any season-long bet that's worth our listeners getting invested early before we even head to Daytona?
1: Oh, Todd, I'm so glad you asked. Yes, I actually do have a bet. That's,
2: that's what they call a tease in the business firm. <laughs> that's what they call a tease.
1: Yes, uh, and it's a driver we talked about. Uh, it, this, this future is, is Kyle Busch, and uh, you know I, I think I got a, a price that's no longer available, but I still like him. Kyle Busch, anywhere over 14 to 1. Hold
2: on a second. No, no, one, no one gives a shit what prices you got if they're no longer available. <laughs> Why don't you tell the listeners what price you would like them to bet it at because you still believe there's actually value?
1: Okay, Todd, I will say I like Kyle Bush. Nobody
2: likes that nobody I know, likes that guy in the gambling community. Nobody likes I had him at seventy five to one, but you can get him at three to two right now, but I still think there's upside and opportunity.
1: Okay, I know, but sometimes I don't know what sports books we can use and not use. Um but I'll say this: Share
2: what's widely available for widely Kyle available. At this point. If you, you can count find two or three books. You can share that price.
1: Okay, at Barstool he is twelve to one. I do not like that at twelve to one. I think that there's a good chance that we could find him at a better price. Uh, you know, later in the season, um, or the the only. The only thing that would really hurt this price is if he goes out there and wins the Daytona 500. I do not think that that's the case. So if we look at other sports books, I know that Caesars has him at 16 to 1. I know that that's not a NASCAR partner, um, but that is a price. I like him over 14 to 1, and there are other sports books that offer that. I'm actually going to pull up. Um, perfect I I didn't have see see what you
2: did there you said there are multiple sports books that offer them at prices this is my final buy point you don't like him at 12 but shop around for 14 to one or greater see that's the luxury you have of being the analyst here I can only lead a horse to water I can't make you drink but I think you did that in a very professional manner
1: yeah so you're gonna have to I would say if you have access to Caesars that would be the place to find that bet because DraftKings also moved him to 12 as well uh, I just think that there's tremendous upside on this eight car this year, and we have to get used to saying eight and not 18. Uh, I, look to him, I look for him to get off to a hot start. I think early in the season, there's a few tracks that he excels at. And if you take some of the, the success from the eight car last year, and you can kind of, um, you know, take the synergy of having Kyle Busch drive that car, I think you could see some some great finishes early and maybe even a win in the first five races of the season, which would be great to get him into the playoffs early because then we can uh, start to hedge or find other value on other drivers to help make sure that we make where we have a profitable uh, championship race card.
2: And I think this will be a good exercise because we're going to be with the listeners almost every week of the NASCAR season. I'm sure we'll get our bye week. Obviously, when NASCAR does, there may be a week or two that we take off. But knowing that we're starting our portfolio with Kyle Busch at no worse than 14 to 1, it allows us to add other drivers the same way that we go about building a race card each and every week. So I think this will be an extremely valuable exercise. As always, make sure you're not over betting your bankroll. These are smaller bets for some of the season-long stuff. We don't want you guys to take any of your money out of action that you would have to bet races when we have head-to-head matchups. Those are a much bigger part of what we do to try and build our bankrolls. Uh, and as always, if we find anything on race day, we'll up that, update that on the Bet the Board website to try and share that. But Kyle Busch, price no worse than 14 to driving the A car as RCR Trace chases its first series championship since the mid-90s. Worms, your first episode of 2023 in the books. I know you look forward to Daytona more than anybody else because it is such a bettable opportunity. Um, but any words of advice, nuggets, that you'd like to share with our listenership? We won't have a show next week uh, as that'll be dedicated to Payne and I doing a deep dive of the Super Bowl, but we'll be back the following week, obviously, before we go to Florida.
1: Well, Kyle Bush is 14-1 to 1 to win the championship at MGM. So there you go. Um, I Feel bad that I was giving out prices that are no longer there. I wish we could edit that out. I also know how you feel about editing out things, so I'm no, just going to be exposed. What you, say, what a, you Yeah, what a, you say is what goes. Uh, we
2: peel back the curtain. This is who Worm it. is as an individual. Better our listeners learn the hard way. What kind of scoundrel this? <laughs> oh, but, a scoundrel. Uh, can't, can't wait to get into another great season. Had a ton of fun doing this uh, last year. We did about 20 races when we started the show in the middle of the season. It'll be great. Building the foundation, continuing to answer questions, interact with our listeners. The NASCAR community, unlike some of the other gambling environments that are out there, seems to be the best for fostering relationships uh, and, and ongoing dialogue. Remember, the battle isn't with individual betters, other than when you're trying to chase down numbers, uh, but it's trying to beat the sportsbook. So looking forward to another extremely profitable season of Stay Green. and like we said, some very talented guests and hopefully names that'll surprise a lot of you, our loyal listeners going, how the hell did they land those people? And Dan- Daniel, Trotta was the best way to start things off. Anything else you'd like to share buddy before uh, you pack your bags and you head off to La La Land?
1: No, I'm just super excited to get this thing going. I'm bummed that, you know, the, the season starts with a couple of races where I'm not super excited to get involved. Uh, that being the clash in the 500, but come Fontana, uh, we will be guns a blazing. So uh, fun year. And I'm excited that we can kind of start the year with a, with a championship bet. So it's kind of something we can keep our eye on the entire year. It'll be one of those things where I go, ha ha ha, I made a great bet. Look at me. Or it'll be one of those things where you just bust my balls every <laughs> week in and week out. Um, so I'm looking forward to that.
2: The the nice part about backing a driver like Kyle Busch, honestly, is that if he wins once in the first 26 races and gets himself into the playoffs – these prices aren't going to be available. So it's betting on drivers who you know their number is only going to move one direction. And if we feel he's been unlucky and the price drifts out, we can always add and try and weight cost average up. So there's nobody better to take you through your first foray of NASCAR betting or if you're a veteran than Chris Wormy. and we're lucky to have him here on the Stay Green Podcast. Best of luck with all of your investments this weekend at The Clash. Again, a special thanks to Daniel Trotta for jumping into the deep end with two degenerates to talk all things NASCAR in the 2023 season. And hopefully come early November, With a Kyle Busch Cup Series Championship ticket in hand, we'll see you at the window.
0: Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate.